this morning because Ron and Scott are in Israel. We have a guest speaker here at the chapel, something we haven't done in around 10 years. And so we're excited to welcome Dr. George Hillman here with us. He is the Chair of Educational Ministries and Leadership at Dallas Theological Seminary. So give a, a warm Western PA welcome, won't you please, to Dr. George Hillman as he comes. I've joked with the other two campuses that depending on how it goes today, you might not get another guest speaker for another 10 years. I have loved coming up here. Uh, last night's service, the first service this morning, folks out the different sites. I never take for granted or take lightly when a pastor gives his pulpit to another individual. You are led well by your pastor, by your pastoral staff, the deacons, the elders here at this church. Every single Sunday from this pulpit, yeah, go ahead. Every single Sunday, the word of the Lord is spoken accurately and boldly from this pulpit, and you are getting great teaching. You have a great reputation in the greater Pittsburgh area, and down in Dallas at Dallas Theological Seminary, you are well known down there as well. It's been so much fun connecting with people, and there's so many Dallas ties up here, which has been a lot of fun. Well, and I want to say this as well, specifically to the other sites, to the other campuses. I'm like one of you. I'm at a church that is multi-site, and I sit in an elementary school every single Sunday uh, while we're doing our broadcast. And so we get there at 6.30 in the morning. We unpack the trailers. We set things up in a um, cafeteria. We're doing children's ministry out in the hallways. So for you at the other sites, I know how hard you work. And you are helping to bring the gospel message in your various different communities as well. And you are so appreciated by this entire team here on the South Hills campus. So, well, I'm a Dallas boy, and I know I'm in enemy territory up here in the land of the Steelers. And, but here's the thing. I've met a couple of closet cowboy fans. They come up to me afterwards. They say, you know, I'm really a Cowboys fan. So I could not bring myself to buy a Steelers hat. I could not bring myself to buy a Steelers shirt. But the terrible towel is pretty cool. So I did get one of these at the airport. So this will be my souvenir for coming here to Pittsburgh is I will take back a terrible towel and I will be taunted by all of my cowboy friends back home. Who here has ever gone scuba diving? A couple hands. Okay, so several of you have. I've gone one time. It's the coolest, freakiest experience you will ever have in your life. So I'm, we were on a cruise this was in Cozumel. It was like one of these day excursions. It was me and a couple of friends that were on the cruise. And so we go scuba diving. So we're on the beach. They give us the mask and the fins and the tank and all these things. Now, I don't know if anybody in here that maybe is like a certified scuba diver, but I kind of thought you had to take classes. I thought you had to, you know, do these other things. No, 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 no. Here's your mask. Here's your fins. Here's your tank. And in extremely broken English, here were my only instructions. <laughs> Keep breathing or your lungs will explode. 
So there's something about the equalization, and I had a scuba diver out of the last service say, yeah, it's so true, and this is what happens, and keep breathing or your lungs will explode. Have a great time. So you put the mask on, and you go underwater. Humans do not breathe underwater. It is everything against you, what you've ever been taught in your entire life. You don't breathe underwater. You hold your breath. Yet I have this voice in my head in very broken English saying, keep breathing or your lungs will explode. Well, when you're under the water and, and you find, take that first breath, it, you panic. You almost hyperventilate. <gasps> I've got to breathe. And so what I had to do literally is I had to cover my face close my eyes and then breathe. Everything in me was telling me to do one of three things. Hold my breath, fight for the surface, or hyperventilate. Yet I'm supposed to breathe. Doesn't this describe life? I had a mom come out of the first service of, oh my gosh, you just described my house. <laughs> if, if you've got kids... You either want to hold your breath or you want to hyperventilate or you just want to run out of the house sometimes. I've got a college student. It doesn't get any better. Marriage is hard for you in this room and you think, I don't know if we're going to make it. And so our reaction is to suck it up, to take our and just hold our breath and trudge through or to hyperventilate or to get out. We're supposed to breathe because keep breathing or your lungs will explode. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. You've been going through the book of Genesis. When Scott and Ron, when they called me to come up here and preach, they said, oh, by the way, you're going to preach on Genesis chapter 15. Now, for a preacher... It, that's like right up there with the Christmas and Easter service. This passage, I cannot stress this enough, this passage is foundational for your understanding of salvation by faith in grace. It is this passage why you didn't all become Jews first before coming to the gospel. When the Apostle Paul, we're going to see this a little bit later on, when the Apostle Paul is, think, is teaching on salvation, and that is by grace, and it is your faith, the Apostle Paul is thinking, what story in the Old Testament I can use? Oh, I know, the story of Abram. Folks, this is key. I love this passage. I love this passage. First, I mean, we're going to be in Genesis 15, the very first verse. And I'm just going to look at the very first three words. It says, after these things. Well, what does that mean? Well, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Before Easter, if you can remember that far, you did Genesis chapter 12, and that was the call of Abram. The passage that was there, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read this to you as a reminder. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Abram is 75 years old, and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
blessed. And then in verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I give this land. And you had a great message talking about Abram, about the calling that was there. A name, offspring, land, blessing. Now, if you remember at the end of Genesis chapter 12, a famine hits, Abram and his extended family go down to Egypt, and they get into a little bit of trouble down in Egypt. They come out of Egypt with great wealth, and that brings us to Genesis chapter 13. Now, in Genesis chapter 13, you're introduced to Lot. Lot is his nephew. So it's Abram. He'll be Abraham in a couple of weeks. Sarai, she'll become Sarah in a couple of weeks. And Lot and his family. They come out with great wealth. But with the great wealth comes some complications. They've got too many people and too much stuff on too little land. And they're going to have to part ways. And Lot sees the valley over here. And it's going to be two cities that you're going to be introduced to in a couple weeks. Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, that looks like a cool place to go. And so Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram stays where he is. And in Genesis 13, 14 through 16, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see will be given to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Genesis chapter 12, Abram is called. Genesis chapter 13, there's a separation that takes place, and God speaks again. There's an offspring and a land. Genesis chapter 14, what happens in Genesis chapter 14 is that Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he gets caught in a rivalry between two gangs of kings, and he gets captured, and he gets hauled off. Abram says, well, I got to go save the boy. He gets 318 of his men. He chases 150 miles and defeats these five kings and rescues Lot. He comes back. The king of Sodom says, Abram, that was really cool. How about I give you all the stuff from the battle and you give me the glory? And Abram says, no, thank you. I'm going to give God the glory. So again, when it says, after these things, that's what's happened. He's been called in 12. He's separated from Lot in 13. In 14, he rescues Lot. There's a battle that takes place, and he gives up great wealth to give God the glory. And that brings us now to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 1. Let's read the entire verse. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I and your shield and your reward shall be very great. Fear not. What does Abram have to fear? Well, we've already read after these things. Boom, 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 boom. So number one is he's already ticked off every king in the area. He defeated five of the kings. They're not really happy. They could come after him. The king of Sodom, they're trying to, king of Sodom says, hey, I'll give you this stuff if you give me the glory. And Abram says, uh, no, thank you. He's ticked off the king of Sodom. No one in the land's really happy about Abram being there right now. Oh, by the way, Abram's an old man and God keeps saying offspring, offspring, offspring. God, I am not seeing no offspring here right now. Lot, the only blood relative, is down in Sodom. And Abram's saying, look, I had to rescue the boy once. He's probably going to get in trouble again, and I've got to go rescue him again. 
you're telling me to breathe underwater. I don't see how I can breathe underwater. I see a bunch of water around it. I've been told all my life I can't breathe underwater. Keep breathing or your lungs will explode. Well, let's continue on. It says, do, he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Abram has just gotten out of a battle. And God says, I am your shield. Now, let me tell you about a shield. This is an analogy that's used throughout the Psalms of the Lord being our shield. A shield does not stop the attack. I'd love to sit up here and say, the minute you become a believer, the attacks will stop. They keep coming. The shield blocks the blows, but the blows keep coming. You're telling me I've got to breathe underwater, but all of this stuff is happening around me. Everything in my mind is telling me to hold my breath, to fight for the surface, or to hyperventilate. God says, I am your shield. I will take the blows. And then the Lord says, I am your reward. Abram just gave up a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of stuff in that deal with the king of Sodom at the end of 14. He held the money bags in his hand and he, gave, and he says, no, I don't want any of your stuff. And God says, I'm going to be your reward. So jump down to two and three, Genesis 15, two and three. But Abram said, and here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna see this exchange back and forth. God talks, Abram talks. God talks, Abram talks. It's this dance that's gonna be all throughout this chapter. So God has said, fear not, I'm your shield, I'm your reward. Abram comes back and says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. This is the very first time we see Abram talking back to God. Now, don't read this as being rude. I think sometimes in our English translations, we think how rude of him to go to God and say, well, God, what are you gonna give me? It's not an issue of that as, as well. Think of it much more of, of the phrasing of this. Lord, you've already blessed me with everything else, but this is what I really want. I, I don't need wealth. I have it. I've already given it up. But Lord, you keep saying offspring, offspring, offspring. I'm an old man. Biology doesn't work. You're telling me to breathe. I don't know if I can trust you. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to Abram. This man, Eleazar of Damascus, will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Chapter 12, offspring, 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 offspring. Abram, I'm going to give you a boy. I'm going to have a son. I'm going to have a son. And then we continue on. In 15, it's, in 15, 5, it says, and he brought him, the Lord brought Abram outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he, the Lord said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. 
Abram comes out from his tent, and this is a supernatural vision of stars. I don't know about the stars in Pittsburgh, but I'm sure they're like the stars in Dallas. You don't see many of them because there's too much city light, too much ambient light. But if you've ever been out really remote and you've seen a, a sky full of stars, that's what Abram saw every single night, and it didn't impress him. There is something supernatural that's happening with this vision where it's not just seeing those stars. He's seeing stars that he's never even seen. It's just, wah! And this is an overwhelming experience. I'm going to have a son. And I see all these stars from my son. Not just some random offspring from my boy. It's going to be like this, and I can't even count it. In Genesis 13, the Lord said, your offspring will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And that brings us to verse 6, which is the hinge passage of this entire thing. Verse 6 is the hinge passage of your own belief as a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ as well. It says, and he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now I'm gonna teach you some Hebrew. You didn't know you were gonna get a Hebrew lesson this morning. Are you ready? This is a very, very tough word. Ready? Amen. Go ahead. You just spoke Hebrew. He believed. Circle it. Whatever you wanna do. Amen. That is the Hebrew word that is in that, in that verse. He amen. So at the end of your prayer, when you pray and you say amen, what you're saying is, I actually believe what I just said in this prayer. I actually believe that you're going to heal this person. I actually believe that you're going to take care of this job situation. I actually believe that you're going to protect my child. I actually believe whatever you're praying for. I believe. Amen. See, as you read Scripture, you read all these things and you say, all these things are great for other people, but they don't apply to me. I know you're telling me that I can breathe underwater, but I don't think that really applies to me. I know other people have done this before, but I, I can't do it. Let me read you some things in Scripture that are true about you because I know I can breathe underwater. Do you know why I know I can breathe underwater? Because I can breathe underwater. It's not fiction. It's a fact. I have the apparatus and I can breathe underwater. So I know that I am a child of God. Do you want to know why? Because in Christ, I am a child of God. I know that I am saved from my sin because in Christ, I am saved from my sin. I know that I am redeemed from my enemy because in Christ, I am redeemed from my enemy. I know that I am an heir of eternal life because in Christ, I am an heir of eternal life. I know that I am forgiven. Because in Christ, I am 
forgiven. I know that I'm a new creation because in Christ I am a new creation. I know that I'm strong in the Lord and in his power because in Christ I am strong in the Lord and in his power. I know that I am rescued from darkness because in Christ I am rescued from darkness. And I know that I am blessed with every spiritual blessing because in Christ I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. The stuff in the Bible is true. Let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is living as if the Bible is true even when you don't feel like it. I can breathe underwater because I've got an apparatus on my back that provides me the oxygen that I need. Keep breathing or your lungs will explode. <gasps> And I can breathe. Abram, you're going to have a son. And he believed. And Abram said, I don't understand the biology of this. I don't understand the circumstances. But Lord, amen. And then the passage says it was counted to him. It was credited to him. It was reckoned to him. Whatever translation you're using, it was counted to him as righteousness. So again, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing in Romans chapter 4, and he says, salvation is through faith and is an act of grace, and I need a great illustration to illustrate this. Let me think. Oh, I know the story of Abram. I'm going to read you Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, 19 through 25. You can just listen as it goes. It says, in hope, he, Abram, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And here's the key. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You can breathe under water. Fully convinced. Abram says, amen. And accepts it by faith. Continuing on, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Here's where you get to come into the picture. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Stop trying to clean up your act before you come to Jesus. You're never gonna clean up your act. Come to Jesus. That's his job to do. Stop trying to hide. The Lord says, I wanna give you something better than what you're hiding from me. Come to him. Keep breathing or your lungs will explode. <gasps> and you take it in. So not only in our salvation is it salvation by faith, 
But the Apostle Paul, then in Galatians chapter 3, he's thinking, okay, this idea of the Christian walk and that the Christian walks by faith, I need to come up with a good illustration. Let me think. Um, um, oh, I know the story of Abram. Galatians chapter 3, verses 3 and 6. It says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, by breathing, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by doing Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous? So if you've never come to a place to trust Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, it is not what you do, it is the acceptance of the fact of what Christ has done on your behalf. You who have accepted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, stop trying to impress God because you're never gonna do it. Breathe. I believe. Amen. Verses seven and eight. Genesis 15, verses seven and eight. Again, God, Abram, God, Abram. God now speaks. And he, God, said to him, Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abram speaks, but he, Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now you're going to say, now wait a second, George. You just told me in verse 6 that he said, Amen, I believe. And here he is in verse 8 now questioning God. No, it's not what you think it is. Let me reword it another way. I come to you and say, I'm going to give you a brand new house. Great. When do we get it? You asked a question, but it's a question of faith. I get a new house. Well, when do we get to go to the title company and sign all the papers? That's what Abram is saying. I'm going to have a boy. And I'm going to have all these offspring. Lord, where do I sign up for this? I don't know if you have bought a house recently. You sign a million papers when you buy a house. You go to the title company, and you don't, you don't even know what you're signing. Let's just be real honest. You just keep signing. They say, sign this, sign this, sign this. I have a daughter in college right now, and I don't know what papers I've signed with the federal government for my federal loans. I've maybe if, I don't know, and I might owe money for a 1,000 years. But in today's world, you've got notaries, you go to the courthouse, you've got title companies. Abram is saying, Lord, I believe. Where do I sign up for this? That brings us to the next verse. 15.9 says, He, the Lord, said to him, Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Don't have a notary. We don't, we're not going to go down to the courthouse. We don't have a title company. But this is how contracts were done during this day. Two parties get together and they say, okay, I'm going to agree to this. I'm going to agree to this. Great. Let's sign it. And they would actually get an animal, cut the animal in two, 
put the halves on either side, and the two parties would walk through the two halves. I know, it sounds very much like a gangster movie, but it's the way things worked in this time. And what you're saying is the two parties are walking through, look, if I do not fulfill the obligation of this contract, you can do to me what we just did to these animals. My word is true. And so God says, all right, let's go, let's sign this contract. Here's what I need from you. I need a cow, I need a ram, I need a goat, I need some birds. And Abram does all those things. Abram cuts those things up and then continue on in 12. It says, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So what's Abraham doing? Abram doing during all this? He's taking a nap. Took this from the motel. I got to make sure to get it back. He's taking a nap. Wait a second, George. You just told me that both parties have to walk between the animals to sign the contract. Exactly. And Abram is over here taking a nap because it has squat to do with Abram. And it has everything to do with God. Abram does nothing. He just believes. Breathe and rest. This is the Christian life. I'm supposed to do all this stuff. No, you're supposed to trust God and breathe and rest in Him. It goes on. It says... Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. Know for sure, Abram, look me in the eyes and know for sure this is going to happen. You're going to have a boy. You're going to have all these offspring. And then what we see in this passage, what you see there, that's a preview of everything that's getting ready to come. That's a preview for the rest of Genesis, for Exodus, for Leviticus, for Numbers, for Deuteronomy, for the Exodus, and for Joshua you got to come back for the rest of the sermon series to hear the rest of the Genesis series. But the Lord says, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be you, Abram, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph is going to pass away. There's going to be a new Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's not going to remember Joseph. The children of Israel are going to be put into slavery for 400 years. Moses is going to lead them out into the promised land. And by the way, when they leave... And when they leave Egypt for the promised land, the Egyptians say, hey, take all of our gold. It's prophesied here. It really does come true in the Exodus. And then Joshua leads them into the promised land to deal with the residents that are there. Abram, it's all going to come through. I promise you, I've signed the contract. 17. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Smoke and fire. Smoke 
and fire. Where have I heard that before? Smoke and fire. Oh, I know, the Exodus. When the children of Israel are led by a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, the same Lord that is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus is the same Lord who comes and walks between the animals to sign the contract. It's a symbolism of God's holiness. It's a symbolism of his righteousness. And the holiness of God itself consumes the sacrifice. And where's Abram? The entire time, Abram's taking a nap. And the Lord's doing all of the work. Breathe and rest. And then we conclude in verse 17. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give you this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. That was all of Abram's known world. He was in Egypt. We assume maybe he even saw the river Nile. He was from the region where the Euphrates River is. That was the entire known world in Abraham's universe. And God says, you're going to have it all. Everything in my mind tells me I cannot breathe underwater. Yet you're telling me, keep breathing or my lungs will explode. Everything in Abram's mind is saying, Lord, none of this can come to pass. But I believe, amen. And I trust you. And I rest confidently in the promises that you give me. We're going to be participating with the Lord's Supper. In God's economy, something or someone has to die for a covenant to come about. We see this in the passage of the cutting and the splitting of the animals. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate covenant sacrifice. This is for you who have trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. For you who have not come to this point of trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you're sitting there and saying, this is too good to be true. I can breathe underwater. This is too good to be true. You mean I can have all those things you just listed, the forgiveness and being an heir and being a child, and I just have to believe in Jesus? Isn't there something I'm supposed to do? It's by faith. In no greater moment than today to say, I believe. Amen. For you who are believers and have trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, as you take the elements, remember, through the sacrifice of Christ, through the bread and through the juice, I believe and I rest. I believe that what you say is true. I believe that the promises are true and I rest confidently in that. Join me in prayer.
thank you for the gift of grace that comes through the death of Jesus. I believe it by faith. I breathe and I rest in it confidently by faith because your promises are true. Amen, I believe.